podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the show on Monday, the 7th of November. We had a very, very bizarre weekend of Premier League football with goals galore, some red cards, some controversy, some great football and some really, really bad football. Let's get straight in. Nottingham Forest 2, Brentford 2. Plenty of drama in this one. Morgan Gibbs-White scores early. 20 minutes in, great goal from the edge of the box. A little bit of a deflection off Ben Mee, but brilliant work from Gibbs White to fashion the chance. On 48 minutes before half time, three minutes into added time, Johan Wiese goes through. And if anybody can tell me what 
Dean Henderson is thinking here. I'd love to know. Cups his knee with his hand, knocks him over, penalty given. Brian and Bomo steps up with Ivan Tony out and scores. Speaking of Ivan Tony, uh, report at the weekend confirmed by both player and Brentford. Ivan Tony is being investigated by the FA for gambling on football matches. Now, there's no suggestion that he was betting on his own team or against his own team. And it seems like these are historic things, so they could be from years ago. Uh, he is, by all accounts, fully complying with the investigation. That's what he said himself. He is he's helping with the investigation. But that's not a distraction that anybody needs at the moment, um, especially Tony with potentially a World Cup coming up. Be interested to see if that might cost him his spot at the World Cup because he certainly deserves it. He certainly should be in the squad. But will politics play a part? Anyway, 75 minutes, Johan Wiesek gets put over, put through, ball over the top, very, very simple, runs off the back of Steve Cook, who's lost, and puts it past Dean Henderson, and it is 2-1 to Brentford. You could argue against the run of play. Forrest kept banging on the door, banging on the door, banging on the door, and in the 96th minute, Gibbs White has a shot, it's cleared off the line, It the clearance hits... Matthias Jorgensen, he can do nothing about it. It crosses the line. They try and scoop it out. They can't. Goal is given and the game is over. Last gasp draw. Really, really important for Forrest that they didn't lose this game. They just could not afford to lose this game. With the break coming up, they need to stay as in touch with the rest of the league as they can. And this draw helps them do that. That's now five points from the last four games. Considering they took five points from their first 10 games, that is a big, big improvement for them. Now, Forrest's last game before the World Cup in the Premier League is a home match against Crystal Palace. That's a winnable game. Palace are a better team, but that is a winnable game. They've got Tottenham in the week in the EFL Cup. If it was me, I'd be sending out the reserves and happily going out of that competition and putting sole focus on the Premier League because you can't afford distractions after the turn of the year. You've got to be solely focused on the league and staying in the league. I'd be playing the, the kids in the FA Cup as well. Solely focus on the league and staying in said league. Uh, Palace next week, tough game, but winnable for them. Brentford are 11th in the league with 16 points from their 14 games. They have Gillingham in the EFL Cup during the week. You'd expect them to win that. And then they go to Manchester next Saturday to take on City. And that could be a vulnerable City. That could be a vulnerable City. City didn't look great at the weekend, but we'll come to them next. That's an opportunity for Brentford to at least go and make some noise. I don't expect them to take anything from the game, but they could make some noise in it. Manchester City 2, Fulham 1. City went 1-up on 16 minutes, Julian Alvarez. On 26 minutes, Joe Canseo sent off for dragging down Harry Wilson in the penalty area. Andreas Pereira steps up and scores. 1-1, one, one, 
60 plus minutes left on the clock. This could be iffy for City. And it was a bit iffy. Of course it was. But they dominated the game. Even with 10 men, City dominated the game. What I was really impressed by from Pep here was he didn't make any immediate changes. Didn't rush to bring on another defender. Just kept playing their football. Didn't make a change until the 64th minute. He hooked Grealish, who'd been awful, brought on Foden. Took off Alvarez, brought on Haaland. Within 10 minutes, Haaland thought he'd scored. Brilliant cross by De Bruyne. Great header by Haaland, but he's offside. And City kept going and kept going and kept pushing for the win. And in the 94th minute, De Bruyne gets the ball in the inside the box, turns, Anthony Robinson makes contact, De Bruyne goes down, penalty. Now, in the immediate watching of the game, in the in the immediate seconds after the incident, I was convinced it was a penalty because it looked like a blatant penalty. Now, the replays have showed it was very soft. And obviously, there's been some complaints of, well, why didn't VAR rule it out? Because it wasn't a clear and obvious error. Because there was contact. That's why. If if the referee hadn't given a penalty, I'd be nearly certain the VAR would not have advised him to give one. But he gave one and it stood. And Haaland stepped up. It's not a good penalty. It's a really poorly struck penalty. And Leno should save it. But that's 2-1 City. They get the win. More drama. 95th minute like the Brentford game. A deserved win. Nobody could take away from the fact that City deserved to win the game, but they left it very, very late. Uh, More drama. Wolves 2, Brighton 3. So, Wolves announced before the game that they have reached an agreement with Julian Lopetegui for him to become their manager immediately after the break for the World Cup. So he will become manager on the 14th of November. I think this is a brilliant appointment. I think he's an outstanding coach. I've been over it before. I've been on this show. I've I've been through his CV. I've been through why I think he's going to work there. Coming off the back of the World Cup, he's going to have Neto back. He'll have Jimenez back. You'd imagine he's been guaranteed some money to spend in January. I think Wolves have absolutely nailed this appointment. I don't think they could have done any better. And I think it speaks volumes of the Premier League that Wolves, who are second from bottom, could get Lopetegui. And Villa, who were in the bottom three at the time, could get Unai Emery. Or they might have been just outside it, but you get my point. They're in a relegation mess. That's two of the 15 to 20 best coaches in the world coming in to manage teams at the bottom of the league. No other league can attract that kind of quality. No other league. 
Um, should have pointed out actually City second in the league, two points behind Arsenal. Uh, they play Brentford next week, like I mentioned. Fulham are ninth, 19 points, really good return, really good first half, one of the surprise packages for sure. And they face Manchester United at home next Sunday. It's the marquee Super Sunday game, the last game before the World Cup break. And um, it'll be interesting to see what type of teams both sides put out. Because I have a feeling there's going to be certain players that might have a little niggle ahead of next weekend because they don't want to risk anything. And I wonder if Mitrovic might be one of those. With his track record of just picking up unfortunate knocks, I wonder if Mitrovic might be one of those. But I'm hoping he'll play because I really want to see him against Martinez just because I think it'll be funny. Um. Anyway, back to Wolves. Wolves 2, Brighton 3. Adam Lallana opens the scoring on 10 minutes. Really well taken goal. Really good work from Matoma and... Trossard to set him up with a nice finish. Uh, Guedes equalises two minutes later. Sort of stumbles his way into the box and manages to scoop a left-footed shot into the back of the net. Ruben Neves put Wolves 2-1 up on 35 minutes. It's Pedence's attempted cross is handled by Lewis Dunk. Very, very similar to the penalty that wasn't given in the Arsenal-Liverpool game when Gabriel very clearly handled Diogo Jota's attempted cross and that wasn't given for reasons known only to a, a very poor referee. Um, this was given. Neves steps up. Makes no mistake. He was never going to miss. On 44 minutes, Matoma makes it 2-2. Great header after good work by Lalana and a good cross. Adam Lalana having his good game for the season getting himself a goal and assist. On In stoppage time at the end of the first half, five minutes into stoppage time at the end of the first half, Nelson Semedo gets himself sent off. It's a long ball out of defence by Brighton. Matoma is onto it. Semedo's gotten caught under the ball, has to turn, try and catch, catch Matoma. He's not getting close to him. And he drags him down on the edge of the box. And it is unquestionably a red card. So he's off. Now, to Wolves' credit, they held on really well in the second half, despite Brighton piling on the pressure and creating some half-decent opportunities. But in the 83rd minute, Matoma again involved. He beats a man on the byline when he's got no real right to get past him, puts the ball back across. It's fed on then to Pascal Grouse, and he finishes past Jose Sa and Brighton get a deserved victory. So Brighton take the three points and they move up to sixth in the Premier League. That's back-to-back wins now for Roberto De Zerbi, another one of the excellent new coaches in the league. Um, They face Arsenal in midweek in the Cup. And then it's Aston Villa at home next weekend. And... Unai Emery's track record away from home isn't great, so Brighton will be favoured in that one. they be favoured anyway because they're the better team right now. But it should be an interesting game between the Zerbi and Emery, two very contrasting styles of play and of management. Uh, Wolves are 19th. They play Leeds in the week, and then it's Arsenal at home next Saturday night. That's going to be a really tough game. But they do know they've got Lopetegui coming in on the Monday 
So maybe the maybe the crowd is properly up for it. The the atmosphere was pretty good in the Brighton game. Maybe they get up for it again. Saturday night games are weird. We just saw Leeds beat Liverpool at Anfield on a Saturday night. So maybe Wolves can pull off a bit of a shot there. Uh, Leeds four, Brett, uh, Bournemouth three. This game was mental. Um, Rodrigo scores a penalty after three minutes. Somerville had been hauled down in the box. Rodrigo steps up and converts the penalty. Within four minutes, Bournemouth are level. Marcus Tavernier with a really well-taken goal. On 19 minutes, Bournemouth are ahead. Again, Tavernier is involved. His shot is saved by Melier. Bounces back to him. He feeds Billing. And Billing just passes it with real pace into the top corner. Brilliant finish. 2-1. On 48 minutes, Tavernier is set free down the left wing. Good cross. Nice and low. With a bit of pace. Solanke, lovely little flicked finish. 3-1 to Bournemouth. And you're wondering... How do Leeds go from beating Liverpool to losing at home to Bournemouth? And Leeds obviously realised themselves. On 60 minutes, Sam Greenwood, one of the very talented young players there, scores an absolutely sensational goal with his weaker left foot. Liam Cooper gets them back to level at 3-3 on 68 minutes with a header from a Greenwood corner. And then on 84 minutes, Bournemouth are piling on the pressure. Nanto picks the ball up in his own half, and just runs at them. And runs, and runs, and no one comes to meet him, and he's covering ground. And Somerville just blurs through the middle. Nanto feeds them. Somerville's onto it. Brilliant finish. Two games, two goals, two match-winning goals for Somerville, living up to the hype now. There was a few weeks where he was in the team, and you're wondering, why is this lad in the team? Now you're seeing it. He's got that pace. He's got that instinct. Really, really good win for Leeds. Really big win for Leeds. And just to show you how strange this league is, a week ago, they were in the bottom three, and now they're 12th. 15 points. Coming up next for Leeds, they get Wolves in the Cup. Then a trip to Tottenham. You're not expecting them to get anything there. But they'll go and they'll cause Spurs a few problems. Jesse Marsh's team aren't backing down from anybody. Uh, Bournemouth on the flip side, <clears throat> myself and Guy talked about this a couple of times, how well they were doing under Gary O'Neill, how they'd turn things around. Well, now it's four straight defeats and they're one place and one point outside the relegation zone. I've been saying all along, I thought they were the worst team in the league. I thought they'd go down. I think that that's what we're seeing. But look, there's a couple of players in that team that aren't going to go down without a fight. There's a couple of players in that team that are playing really, really well. And they've got two games now coming up against Everton, both at home, both in the cup. Or sorry, both at home, one in the cup, one in the league. If I was Bournemouth, I'd be happy enough to lose that league, that cup game and focus fully on the league game. Because you win that league game and all of a sudden you're back well out of the mix. You know, you're still in the mix, but you're... From a position point of view, you look like you're out of it. Points-wise, you're still going to be in the relegation mix. But positionally, you'll still be there or thereabouts. Um, and this was actually a really fun game as well. It was a really fun game. It was mental. And some of the defensive stuff was dreadful. But it was a really 
entertaining Premier League game. Everton nil, Leicester City two. Um, Leicester should have won this game by five or six. They had they had the chances, but it took an absolute worldie from Yuri Thielemans on forty five to put them one up, and then a late Harvey Barnes goal on eighty six to make it safe. Everton didn't really didn't really offer much. Danny Ward made one good save, and it, it will be missed a good chance early on, but. Everton were just awful. They're awful to watch. They're just terrible to watch. I, I just don't understand how anybody can enjoy watching Frank Lampard's team play. Um, so Everton are 16th. Very, very Frank Lampard territory, that. 14 points from 14 games. Like I said, they've got the two games coming up against Bournemouth. Uh, Leicester, who looked... A completely lost cause uh, a month ago have now won three of four. Uh, they've got Newport County in the week in the cup and then a trip to West Ham. And West Ham are struggling, so I wouldn't put it past Leicester to go there and win that one. Now, I don't think this absolves Rodgers. In fact, I think this hammers home the fact that they should have sacked Rodgers because these are the same players that were sat at the bottom of the table. They're the same group of players. They're just showing what they can do now. So for me, that's even more damning on him. I think he's one that needs to be very, very concerned about his job during this World Cup break. Uh, moving into Sunday then, Chelsea nil, Arsenal won. This was a fairly poor game of football. Chelsea were awful. Arsenal were okay. Created a couple of decent chances. Gabriel Jesus played very well. Thomas Partey played pretty well, but Chelsea were awful. Absolutely shocking. And the more the weeks go by, the more I don't know that they made the right decision in sacking Thomas Tuchel. Uh, that's four without a win in the Premier League now for Chelsea. They're seventh. They're two points ahead of Liverpool. They have to play Liverpool in a rearranged game. And if they play like that, Liverpool will wipe the floor with them. They've only scored 17 goals. This season, they've conceded 16. Uh, they spent, Chelsea have spent nearly 600 million in the last three seasons. Nearly 600 million. To go back to 2021, when they had what some people called the greatest window anyone's ever had, they brought in Hakim Zayich, flop, Timo Werner, flop. Ben Chilwell, he's been okay. Kai Havertz scored a winning goal in the Champions League final, so he's not a flop. Uh, Edouard Mendy, who at one point was apparently the greatest goalkeeper in the world and now is the backup to Kepa, who's just currently injured. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that season they spent $222.5 million. The following year... They bring in Romelu Lukaku at a cost of just shy of a hundred million. So there's three hundred and twenty million. And then this past summer, Sterling, Koulibaly, Amari Hutchinson, Slanina, Chukwemeka, Kukurella, Kasaidi. 
Fafana and Aubameyang plus the loan fee for Dennis Zakaria comes to 260 million. So about 580 million spent on players. Also a big payoff to Lampard, a big payoff to Tuchel and a big payment to Brighton for the rights to steal their manager. Uh, you're well over the £600 million spend since June of 2020. In 30 months, they've spent £600 million. Does that look like a £600 million squad? Forgetting all the players that were there before? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Chelsea are about as badly run as it's possible to be and have been for a long, long time. They've just had the money to buy their way through it. But they've got some big decisions to make about what their actual direction is going to be. Now, I think they're going to give Potter as much time as he needs. They can't really afford not to after the big show they made of bringing him in and giving him, uh, was it a six-year contract that they gave him or a five-year contract? Let's see. Uh, Five-year contract. No Chelsea manager had ever been given a five-year deal, bar one, which was vs. Boas. Even Mourinho arriving at the club as a European Cup winner only got a four-year deal. vs. Boas got seven years, and they had to pay it out, all of it, after they sacked him after six months. So they'd stopped giving long contracts. Uh, when Tuchel took over, he got 18 months with an option for another year. It's not It's not on Potter. None of this is on Potter. Because this squad wasn't built for Graham Potter. These players weren't bought to play his brand of football. Now, I don't don't know who you actually would blame other than Bowley because he just seems like a clown to me. Um, but if if it's true that they're the front runner to get Cristiano, they're not finishing in the top four. They're not getting top four football this season if they sign Cristiano Ronaldo. Like that that team that played at the weekend looked like it needed at least another two hundred million spent. Like have a look at that lineup. Now, admittedly, they have injuries at the back. So there's no there's no doubt there. You put James in for Aspilicueta. Um, by, by the way, Mark Cucurella's defending in this game, for especially for the goal, for Gabrielle's goal on 63 minutes. It's Saka's corner, and somehow it almost bounces its way through a crowd, and Cucurella is just standing there hugging an Arsenal player, hugging him, and the ball goes right behind him. Uh, Mendy is atrocious for it. But you've got Mendy in goal. I've said since day one, he wouldn't be for me. I wouldn't trust him. You've heard me say it on this podcast. I don't trust him. You'd be looking to upgrade him. I don't trust Kepi either. So you'd be looking for a new goalkeeper, for starters. Uh, James, I think James, Fafana, Koulibaly and Cucurella or Chilwell is absolutely fine. It's a good defence. Um, they've got to stop playing Thiago Silva because he's a liability. Um, but Loftus-Cheek and Jorginho is your midfield. That's your midfield. Sterling, Havertz and Mount behind the striker. I can, I can 
get on board with that if they've got the right midfield and the right striker, but they've got Aubameyang up front. Like, that team, even with the players who are out, now you could say Kovacic comes back in, so that's one midfield position filled, but you need a top-end goalkeeper, a top-end midfielder, someone that will sit in the middle of the park and run the game for you, so not Declan Rice, and you need a top-end striker. So you still need three big-money players after spending $600 million. Now, maybe you could bring Lukaku back and he'd be better than Aubameyang, but does he want to be there? I don't believe he does. And is left wing really the best use of Mason Mount? Is right wing really the best use of Raheem Sterling in the 4-2-3-1? It does a lot of mess in there. Uh, good win for Arsenal, obviously, and they remain top of the league. Um, two points clear of City with that trip to Wolves next week. Chelsea have Manchester City in the in the EFL Cup during the week. That's going to be tough, obviously. Then a trip to Newcastle. And that's going to be difficult. And it feels like they need to go and win that to prove a point. It feels like Potter needs to go and win it because you don't want to have three defeats in a row and no wins in five in the league going into the break. Not if you're Chelsea. Uh, you're seven in the league. You're level on points with Brighton. Brighton. You could buy Brighton as an entire entity for less than Chelsea have spent on players and managers in the last three summers. Like, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Um, And look, if results go against you next weekend, it might be that you go in, if you lose to Newcastle and Liverpool win and Fulham win, and Palace win, which are all possibilities. Liverpool play Southampton, Fulham play United at home, and Palace play Forest. All of them could win, and if you lose, you're 10th, which would be mortifying, considering how much money you've spent. Uh, Moving on, Aston Villa 3, Manchester United 1, the United Emery Era is underway. Leon Bailey gave them the best possible start on seven minutes. Dreadful defending by Lissandro Martinez. Lost his man. Bailey runs through and scores. Luca Dina doubled the lead on 11 minutes. Really nice free kick from a pretty hefty distance. Gave De Gea no real chance. Just before the break, Luke Shaw takes a shot that is going well wide. It hits Jacob Ramsey and deflects across the goal and goes in. 2-1, United back in it despite having been awful and uh, maybe they had a chance to come back in. But four minutes in the second half, really good break by Ollie Watkins. Really good work. Gets the ball back to Ramsey, arriving perfectly on the edge of the box from behind the game. Just walks onto it, side foots it into the top corner. Brilliant goal. Really well taken. That's exactly what you want Jacob Ramsey doing. Really good run. Really good timing. Really good finish. Great win for Villa. Great, great win for Villa. Real confidence lifter as well. And they are up to 13th in the league after two wins in the last three games. That is their biggest win since they beat United last season at Old Trafford. 
It's the first time they've beaten United at home since 1995, which is a little bit embarrassing considering they're in the Premier League for, you know, most of that time. Uh, they have United again on Thursday in the EFL Cup and then a trip to Brighton next weekend. Uh, big question marks over United in this game. You, you really have to ask what the mindset was that saw Eric Ten Hag hand the captain's armband to Cristiano Ronaldo. Like, we're only a couple of weeks removed from him refusing to go on and walking out of a game before it was finished. And now you're rewarding him by making him captain. That's absolutely dreadful management. And you'd also have to ask, like, we saw United at the start of the season try and play Ten Hag ball and get slapped by Brighton and Brentford. And the Brighton result didn't reflect the game. Brighton battered them. He drops Cristiano. He drops Maguire. He resorts to the same type of football they played under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. A deep block, pacey counterattacks. Now he's worked his way back to trying to play his own brand of football and it's desperate. And he's got Cristiano back in the team and it doesn't work and he's awful. Cristiano Ronaldo has committed more fouls than he has had shots on target this season in the Premier League. Seven to six. He is petulant. He took took his armband off at some point as part of a strop. He had a wrestling match with Tyron Mings as part of a strop. He's he scored one goal in the Premier League this season in 10 appearances. One. He's got three in 16 games in all competitions. And his performances have been dreadful. Now, none of this is surprising. He's 37. He's going to be 38 in February. United need to get him gone in January because he's a distraction and, frankly, he makes them significantly worse. Lissandro Martinez has gotten an awful lot of praise this season and most of it is absolute nonsense. Um, if you look at like things like his aerial win percentages, everything that people said it would be, uh, he doesn't really compete for aerials in most games. Maybe he has won a game. Many games he has none. Um, when he does, he's winning about 50%. And that's heavily boosted by the fact he won 5 of 5 against Southampton, against Che Adams, who's the same height as him. Um, he was all at sea for the first goal in this game. And he should have been sent off. He really should have been sent off. Twice he threw an elbow. Actually, three times he threw an elbow into Leon Bailey in quick succession. Two of them caught him quite strongly and he should have been sent off. And I have no idea how he wasn't. Uh, but the Vern Troyer of the Premier League needs to settle himself down a little bit. Um, Southampton won, Newcastle United four. Uh, this, this was a strange game. This scoreline did not reflect the game at all. At all. Almiron scored on 35 minutes, continues his great run of form. Bella Kotchup slipped at just the worst moment and Almiron was able to wiggle the ball underneath him and round him. 
After that, Southampton should have scored twice. They had two great opportunities and they really should have scored twice. They didn't and Newcastle punished them. Chris Wood scored on 58 minutes. Uh, Joe Willock scored on 62. The finish seemed a little bit fortunate. I'm not sure he meant it to come off his studs and roll the way it did. I think Basunu was expecting more power in it. I think it threw him off. Um, Roman Perot scored a really nice consolation goal in 89 minutes to make it 3-1. And Bruno Gomeric made it 4-1 on 91 minutes. Um, obviously, another good win for the Toon. They are now third in the Premier League and they have Chelsea at home next weekend. Southampton drop into the bottom three. They are 18th and they face Liverpool away next weekend. The big news here is that Ralph Hasenhutl was dismissed as Southampton manager. He was coming up on his four-year anniversary, a 34.1% win percentage. It's hard to say that he wasn't given a chance. I think he was. He was given every chance. I think at times he's a little bit fortunate to hold on to the job. I do think he's a good manager. I just, he just wasn't the right manager for Southampton. Um, now, it'll be interesting to see who Southampton line up next. Um, Guy has popped into the chat that Nathan Jones has been given permission to speak to Southampton. Now, Nathan Jones is an interesting one because he's done a really good job with Luton, like a really, really good job with Luton on two occasions. But he went to Stoke in, in between and he was dreadful, like genuinely shocking. Um, He took Luton from Division, from League Two up into League One and was doing a very, very good job there. Went to Luton and it was just, I went to Stoke, brother, and it was just, it was just an absolute disaster. Luton are now a championship team, obviously, and they got to the playoffs last season. Knocked out in the semi-finals by Huddersfield. Uh, he was voted EFL Manager of the Year. He's still fairly young. He's forty-nine. I'm not. I, I'm not sure. I. I don't know if he's if he's the right manager for. For Southampton or not. He has done great work with young players at Luton, and I think that may be what entices Southampton because they've got such a young squad. And I mean, there is the makings of a, of a good squad there. There's just no doubt about it. There is the makings of a good squad there. Whether or not they can, um, whether or not they can make the most of it, I don't know. You know, you look at, I think Bassoon is a very, very talented goalkeeper. I think you'd be very happy to have him. I think you've got Four really good centre-backs in Bella Kotchup, Salisu, Coletta Carr and Leanko. You also still own Jan Bednarak, who's a, a good centre-back. Um, you've got good right-backs in Livermento and Walker-Peters, obviously both injured at the minute, but they'll be back after the World Cup. Left-back, I do quite like Perot. I think he's quite good. Uh, Juan Larios, the young Spanish left-back, is, is very, very talented. So... 
you'd be really happy with your group of defenders. I think you'd be happy with your group of central midfielders as well. Um, you'd probably want to add one more because you've only really got the three. So I think you would want to add one more. Now, I suppose you've got Maitland-Niles who can play there. So you have him for this season. Um, he may well stay beyond that. You've got him, you've got Ward-Prowse, and then you've got Diallo and Lavia, who's sensational. So you'd be happy enough there. In terms of your attacking midfield kind of winger options, you've got Mara, you've got Gineppo, you've got Adozi, you've got Elianusi, you've got Stuart Armstrong. Adam Armstrong's more, I think, a second striker than an actual striker. You've got Joe Aribo, and Maitland-Niles can also play in those positions. So you've got a good group there of wingers, attacking midfielders, second strikers. The problem for me and I said this in the summer, you don't have a goal scorer. You just don't have a goal scorer in that group. And that would be a concern. Who is going to get you the goals to keep you up? So I think in January, they're going to have to go and bring somebody in who's going to score them goals. Um, and, you know, like Theo Walcott can't play football anymore. Why was he on the pitch at the weekend? I can't play anymore. Get him gone. Stop wasting money on players like him. Get him gone, get a striker in. And and I think there's more than enough talent there to stay up. It is a super talented group of players. It really, really is. Um, but that was a dreadful result. Uh West Ham won Crystal Palace two. West Ham went one up through an absolute rocket from Ben Rama on 20. Wolf Zaha made it 1-1 on 41. Craig Dawson with Two defensive errors in one go and a poor touch by um, Tilo Carrera that was the result of an awful pass by Craig Dawson. But Zaha equalises and then in the 94th minute, Michael Elise uh, cuts in from the right. His shot takes a deflection off Aaron Cresswell and just loops over Fabianski, who's got no chance. Um, interesting thing in this game was the midfield dominance by Cech de Coure. Just absolutely ran the show absolutely ran the show put Declan Rice in his pocket and marched around the London Stadium like it was his uh, I saw some excuse makers say oh well Rice plays with Suchek Takuri was playing next to Jeff Schlupp so behave it's not like he had Roy Keane sitting next to him um, great win for Palace they're up to 10th they'll be thrilled top half Away to Brantford or the way to Forest uh, next week, like I said, uh, that's a a very winnable game for them. So they can win that. They come back then with a favourable at home to Fulham, away to Bournemouth. They, that could be good for them. Um, West Ham really disappointing this season. I mean, they they have to be really disappointed. And I, I think Moyes might be under a little bit more pressure than we're aware of. That's three defeats in four, eight defeats already this season. Nobody has lost more games in the Premier League than West Ham. The other teams that have lost eight games are Leicester, who were bottom of the league for the first couple of months, Southampton, Wolves and Forest, who are in the bottom three. I I think Moyes is probably under a little bit more pressure than we know. Defensively, they've been okay. They can't score goals. They've only got 12 goals in the league this season, which is a disgrace considering the talent they have there. 
They've got West Ham. Oh, they've got West Ham. They've got Blackburn at home next in the EFL Cup. And then they get that game against Leicester, which is going to be tough. It is going to be tough. Leicester are going to want those three points as well. West Ham currently level on points with Leicester, and we were laughing at Leicester, how bad a start they had. They're one point behind Villa and Leeds, who were in the relegation zone like a couple of weeks ago. So I think Moyes might be in a bit more trouble than we know. Um, last game then. Tottenham 1, Liverpool 2. Uh, Liverpool, good first half, dreadful second half. Spurs, poor first half, good second half. Uh, Salah scored after 11 minutes. Good work between Panat fired the ball into, into Salah. He found Elliot. Elliot found Firmino. Firmino found Robertson. Robertson found Darwin Nunes. And Nunes found Salah. One touch and then hit 1 0 to Liverpool. Made it 2 0 on 40 minutes. Alison Becker with a pretty poor long ball. Eric Dyer makes an absolute hames of it. Salah's through. Gorgeous finish over the goalkeeper. That's 2 0. Uh, Tottenham ramped up the pressure in the second half and Harry Kane scores on 70. Kuliseski just on with the assist. Really nice finish by Kane. And then Jurgen Klopp decided to give all Liverpool fans palpitations by making bizarre substitutions that made them worse. Uh, Henderson came on, was absolutely woeful. Jones came on, was like the invisible man. Uh, Switched to a back five, which was just a silly thing to do when you're not a back five team. And uh, and then brought on Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, finished, finished the game playing a 5-5-0 formation, which nobody needs to see ever. Um, but three points is three points, and Liverpool are eighth in the league, two behind Chelsea and Brighton, level on points with Fulham and Palace. I mean, that tells you how bad Liverpool's season has been. But Southampton at home next weekend is a chance to go into the break on a bit of a high. They do have Derby in the Cup in midweek. For Spurs, they drop to fourth. They have Forrest in the Cup and then Leeds at home. Both are games they should be winning. They are one point behind Newcastle, but they're now eight points behind Arsenal and they've played a game more. Now, I, table doesn't mean a whole lot at this point, but they'll be disappointed by that. They'll be disappointed by four losses already, especially given who the four losses are to. Um, I, I think they'll be disappointed in that. So... That gives us Arsenal top, City second, Newcastle third, Spurs fourth, United fifth, Brighton sixth, Chelsea seventh, Liverpool eighth, Fulham ninth, Crystal Palace tenth, Brentford eleventh, Leeds twelfth, Villa thirteenth, Leicester fourteenth, West Ham fifteenth, Everton sixteenth, Bournemouth seventeenth, Southampton, Wolves and Forest. And we are going to take a break and when we come back we're quickly going to wrap through uh, a little bit of news, and then we're going to do the gossip and be done. I'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, uh, the Champions League draw was made today, and the draw is as follows. RB Leipzig versus Manchester City. Club Bruges versus Benfica. That should be fairly even tie. Uh, Liverpool versus Real Madrid. Probably the first of the glamour ties for the knockout phase. AC Milan versus Tottenham Hotspur. I think that's fairly well balanced. Frankfurt versus Napoli. I think you'd probably heavily favour Napoli in the form that they're in, but it could be different come February. Dortmund versus Chelsea. 
just depends on which Chelsea turns up. If good Chelsea turn up, they should win. If the Chelsea that played Arsenal turn up, they're going to get wiped. Inter Milan versus Porto in another one. I think that's very well balanced. And then Paris Saint-Germain versus Bayern Munich in the other glamour tie of the round of 16. Uh, In the Europa League, well, this is juicy, Barcelona versus Manchester United. And that should be a cracker. Juventus versus Nantes. Sporting versus Mittelland, Shakhtar versus Rennes, Ajax versus Union Berlin, Leverkusen Monaco, Sevilla PSV, and Red Bull Salzburg Roma. I'd be looking Barca, Juve, Sporting, Rennes, Ajax. Don't know between Leverkusen and Monaco. They're both pretty poor this season. I think PSV probably beat Sevilla. Sevilla haven't sorted themselves out, and I would back Roma to beat Salzburg um, in the in their match. That's obviously there. Then that's the knockout round in the Europa Conference League knockout round. It's Quarabeg versus Ghent, Trabzonspor Basel, Lazio Cluj, Bodo Glimt Lech Poznan, Braga Fiorentina. That should be a cracker. Larnaca versus Dnipro. Sheriff Tiraspol versus Partizan and Ludogorets versus Anderlecht. So I think there's one real standout tie there, Braga versus Fiorentina. I think the, the standout tie in the Europa League is obviously Barcelona against United. And then in the Champions League, I think there's two. I think it's Liverpool Real and PSG Bayern. Um... Speaking of Liverpool, uh, they have been put up for sale, according to a report by David Ornstein in The Athletic today. I've spoken about it over on the Daily Red on Anfield Index, so if you want to hear my thoughts on that, go and listen there. Uh, Madness in Argentina last night. Ten players were sent off as Racing Club won a Champions Trophy final that ended early because Boca Juniors had only six players on the pitch. Seven. Boca Juniors players in total were sent off, including two who were on the bench, with Racing leading 2-1 when the game was stopped. Rules state a match cannot take place. If a team has fewer than seven players, Carlos Alcaraz's 118th minute winner was the flashpoint for the major incident when he celebrated in front of the Boca fans. The Boca players surrounded him, grabbed him by the ear and threw the football at him. Referee Facundo Tello, sent off Alvarez, sorry, Alcarez, along with five Boca players, including Dario Benedito, an unused sub, and Carlos Sombrano, who'd already been taken off. Uh, Jonathan Galvin, an unused Racing sub, he was also sent off. Uh, Sebastian Villa and Johan Carbonero, they'd already been sent off 15 minutes earlier. Absolute chaos. Chaos. And... Facundo Tello is Argentina's uh, referee for the World Cup and hopefully he's just flashing red cards everywhere. Great crack. I actually want to find that game to watch it. Well, watch the last 20 minutes of it just to see the madness. Uh, We'll finish up with the gossip. 
Liverpool are favourites to beat Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City and Real Madrid to the signing of Jude Bellingham from Borussia Dortmund after forging a close relationship with the 18-year-old midfielder. That may be more likely now if they've got new owners. Patrick Vieira says transfer speculation will not distract Wolf Saha. His contract runs out in the summer. Certainly not distracting him this season. He's been outstanding. Barcelona planned to sign a new centre-back to replace Gerard Piquet with Athletic Bilbao defender Inigo Martinez at the top of the list. I don't think they need a centre-back. You've got Arejo, you've got Kunde, you've got Christensen, you've got Garcia. Garcia's not very good, but you've still got four centre-backs and you've got a, a good young one. I can't think of his name. I think he's Moroccan-born in the in the Barcelona B team. You need a right-back. Unless you're planning Kunde as your right-back. And if that's the case, you need to buy a starting centre-back and that's not Inigo Martinez. Uh, PK's retirement will also free up funds for Barcelona to move for Bernardo Silva. Nowhere near the funds that will be needed. Manchester United have scouted Porto's Portuguese goalkeeper, Porto's Portuguese goalkeeper, Diogo Costa, at least a half a dozen times this season. This is nonsense. He He's very good, though. Uh, although, is he? Because I remember him against Liverpool and he was awful. But he's had some really good games that I've seen. Who knows? Uh, Ten Hag will not write off Donny van de Beek. Donny van de Beek was absolutely awful against Villa at the weekend. Why he started, I don't know. Uh, Lopetegui. Yuri uh, Tielemans is unlikely to be allowed to leave Leicester in January, despite the fact his contract runs out at the end of the season. Inter are battling to keep Milan Skriniar after it emerged that the Premier League's elite are ready to make a move for him. I could see him at Spurs, I really could. I could see him at Spurs. He's played under Conte. He knows Conte's system. I think him and Romero would be two thirds of a really good back three. Uh, Newcastle will listen to offers for Jamal Lachelles. I don't know that there'll be many coming in. Manchester United, lower league maybe. Manchester United, Arsenal, Southampton are all showing interest in Miguel Almiron. Oh, all showed interest in Miguel Almiron before he joined Newcastle. He, he was very highly regarded. Um, Napoli's 21-year-old Georgian midfielder Kavica Kvaratskeli, who has been linked with a move to Liverpool, is likely to cost around €100 million Euro and will not be available in January. Nobody thought he would be. Uh, Chelsea right-back Rhys James is confident he will be fit enough to be picked in England's World Cup squad following a knee injury. I have doubts. Chelsea are keen to end Dennis Zakaria's loan. It has been a disaster. Uh, Manchester City have opened talks with Jude Sunsup Bell, the Chelsea Academy striker, with a view to the teenager joining them. If I was him, I'd stay where I where I was. I think Chelsea's got more of a track record of at least giving young players a bit of a pathway, whereas City just tend to sell them off for a profit. Um, Chelsea and Manchester City will compete for the signing of Rafael Liao. I, I think he's going to stay there. I think he's going to sign a new contract and stay, to be honest. Real Madrid are complicated that Liverpool's approach for Jude Bellingham has complicated their bid. Okay. Paris Saint-Germain, Chelsea and Real Madrid have moved ahead of Manchester United in the race to sign Endrick. Uh, I think Real Madrid are the only club really in the race to sign him. Um, the, the fee is £52 million. He can move when he's 18 and I think he's going to go to Real Madrid. Manchester United are monitoring Benjamin Sesco, but he has a pre-agreement with RB Leipzig. Is that true? I don't know that that's true. Who wrote this? They bought him in the summer, Dave. 
Oh, they did, didn't they? Oh, I completely forgot about that. They did buy him in the summer. So United can't buy him anyway. Unless Leipzig are just willing to step aside. I completely forgot about that. They bought him and loaned him back for the year or bought him to move next summer or whatever it was. Yeah, fair. Fair. Very, very, very talented. Uh, Ten Hag is interested in Dusan Vlahovic. He's really good. Uh, Manchester United will allow Aaron Wan-Bissaka to return to Crystal Palace on loan. I think that's a good move for everybody. Italy midfielder Jorginho wants twelve million a year, which is double his current salary to stay at Chelsea. His current contract runs out in the summer. Uh, I would let him leave. Um, United States midfielder Yunus Musa is impressing at Valencia, but remains open to return to Arsenal. The teenager was released by the North London Club. He wasn't released by the North London Club. This is not true at all. Who's reporting this? He wasn't released. He chose to leave. That's bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Uh, Pau Torres tops Unai Emery's list of transfer targets. That's a very ambitious one. Uh, Arsenal are keeping tabs on Vittoria Gamerish's 26 million rated Italian defensive midfielder Ibrahima Bamba, oh, he's really tasty. He's a really, really big prospect. Um, hmm. Yeah, he he's gonna he's got a, a buyout clause of thirty million euro. I could see him making sense for Arsenal. I really could. I think he'd fit in really well as like a Partey backup potential successor, potential replacement if Partey has to disappear for a prolonged period of time. Barcelona are preparing a January move for Las Palmas' Spanish attacking midfielder, Alberto Malero. He's really gifted as well. Um, that He was in that youth team with Pedri and some people thought he was the more talented one. Now, Pedri is special, so we'll see. Uh, Jordi Alba is not in Xavi's plans and could be set to move to Napoli. Napoli already have two left-backs, so I don't know why they'd need another one. Juventus want to tie English midfielder Samuel Illing Jr. to a new deal to fend off interest from Brighton and Tottenham would be clever. He looked very, very impressive in a recent uh, Champions League outing. And then we have the last day's worth, which is Newcastle and Aston Villa are interested in Eden Hazard. No, they're not. No, they're not. Let's not pretend anybody wants Eden Hazard. Tottenham are weighing up a move for Anthony Gordon in January. Arsenal remain interested in Mikhailo Mudrik. Um, Christopher Nkunku will be willing to wait for Real Madrid before deciding whether to move to Chelsea. Interesting. Arsenal are working on new contracts for William Saliba, Bikayo Saka, uh, Bikayo Saka, rather, and Gabriel Martinelli. That's according to Spoof with the catchphrase, so you're just guessing. Although he is a big kiss arse of Edu, so he, maybe he's got maybe he's got the connection there, uh, having kissed enough backside. Uh, PSV Eindhoven director Marcel Brands, is he back there? Said Leeds made an offer 
of 30 million plus 11 in bonuses for uh, Cody Gakpo in the summer. I didn't realize he'd gone back to um, to PSV. Well, that's quite funny because it was he was really good there the first time around. It was a mess when he was at Everton. Uh, Lille and Canada Ford, Jonathan David, has been monitored by, by a number of Premier League clubs, including Everton, Tottenham, or an Arsenal. Everton should be serious. He's not going to go there. Ivan Tony remains available for World Cup selection. He may remain available, but let's just wait and see if it happens. If he's not in, it has to be a political thing because there's no way he shouldn't be in that squad. Um, Philip Coutinho's hopes of making Brazil's World Cup squad are over. The 30-year-old has a thigh injury that's going to keep him out for up to 10 weeks. That's horrible news for Coutinho. West Ham are plotting a January move. For Ben Breert and Diaz, I don't think Blackburn will sell because they're right in the mix for promote for promotion. I just don't think they'll sell. I think they'd rather lose him for free but be promoted. Uh, Wolf Saha is refusing to speculate on his future despite his contract coming to an end. And lastly, Leeds are re- leading the race to sign Birmingham's 18-year-old English midfielder, George Hall, very talented young player. And Leeds have obviously made a big, big push on youth recruitment in the last couple of years as well. So it makes sense all around. Uh, That'll do it. That's me for today, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening. And I will see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.